0: Luke five twelve through 32, and I read in Jesus' name. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. And he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days as he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies, who can forgive sins but God alone? Then Jesus perceived their thoughts. He answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat with, and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let us pray. Father, as we come to just quickly go over this text, Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be upon us, leading us and guiding us. Lord, that your truths might be applied into our lives. Lord, and that we might walk in this truth. Father, we thank you for your truth. Sanctify us through your truth, Lord. Your word is truth. Blessed be your name, Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I can't say what our sermon's going to be about next week, but I do know that as I was reading through it this time, a couple more sermons came to mind. Um, but I'll leave those for later weeks. You're not going to get all of them, otherwise we'd be here too long. Because there's there's a lot of, and I say this almost every week, but there's a lot of stuff in these passages. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of details that we can pull out and look at and apply into our lives. But today, as we're looking at this, we're just going to be looking at three points, and we're going to be kind of jumping from story to story to story, uh, seeing how Christ changes lives. Because today's Palm Sunday, and on Palm Sunday, we celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry, coming in as king, coming in as conqueror. But what did he conquer? Sin and, death. sin and death and oh, go ahead and the devil, and the devil. Rachel uh, he, uh, he, he conquers us too you're right especially the, those sinful parts of us right? yeah and so as we start out we're going to look at the effects of his conquering I should, I should probably turn so I actually know where I'm at he conquers our uncleanness. His first act is to interact with one who is unclean. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So what was a leper? A leper was unclean. A leper was ostracized. A leper was one of those Because leprosy at this point was not curable. So some diseases were curable. Some diseases weren't curable. Well, some of those diseases, like a common cold, that's not curable, but it's really not that big of a deal. Leprosy was a big deal. Leprosy was something that would take over your body and it would kill you very slowly. And so there were leper colonies and these people, they were separated from common society. They weren't allowed in. They had to go around, you know, wearing, wearing veils, shouting, unclean, unclean. So that all of the clean people, all of the people that weren't sick with what they were sick with would know, don't come near me. I've got something that could make you sick. I've got something that might infect you. I've got something that might make you unclean. Something that might dirty you. That's in me. Don't come near to me. I have shame. I have uncleanness. Stay away. And we do this. We do this too. We might not do this by shouting it out. We might not do this by wearing veils. We might not do this by the way we dress, but we do this inside ourselves and we push others away so that they don't see our shame, so that they don't see that which is in us that might make them unclean. So we don't taint them. We ostracize ourselves from the community. We do this. And you know what? How do you fix that? Jesus. Jesus is the one that fixes this. Because Jesus comes in as conquerors of our uncleanness. Jesus comes in as a conqueror over that which is inside of us, whether that be a disease at this point. And this is what Jesus is able to do. And, you know, he comes and he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will. Be clean. And that's it. You're cleansed. Why? Because Jesus has pronounced it. Jesus is the one that matters. Jesus is, it's his words that matter. It's his power that matters. It's his opinion that matters. It's his approval that matters. It's Christ that matters. Who's your God? Who's your God? If your God says you are clean, you're clean. Period. So it's Kind of like washing dishes. So say Peg was washing dishes and Dar comes in and looks at him and says, Peg, those dishes aren't clean. Peg says, I've just washed them. They're clean. Whose opinion matters? Peg's. (laughs) Because she is the god of the dishes in their house. I don't know. (laughs) Those dishes are clean. Why? Because Peg washed them. Peg cleansed them. doesn't matter if I came to the house and said, are these dishes really clean? Peg would say, of course they're clean. I washed them. I cleansed them. So also it is with God. I know that's a silly illustration, but it's reality. If God says you're clean, who is Jim to say you're not clean? Jim's not God. He can't stand in God's, he doesn't have any authority against God. If God says I'm clean, who is Emily to say you're unclean? You should feel shame. I've been forgiven. It's God's who, it's God opinion. It's God's opinion that matters. It's God's touch that matters. This is the point. Who is your God? If Jim's my God, then it doesn't matter what God says, but it matters what Jim says. Jesus says, you're clean. Jim? To say, we ate on those plates, so they have to be dirty because they had food on them. You know, it's kind of your point, right? Yeah, yeah, well, well okay, we'll go there, because that's good. So Jim said, we ate on those plates, they must be dirty. Well, we ate before they were cleansed. The di- they were dirty, they are now cleansed. My remembrance doesn't matter because they are now cleansed. That which happened in the past doesn't matter because they are now cleansed. They're cleansed. This is what Jesus does. He comes in and says, you are clean. I will be clean. What power does Christ have over our lives? He has the power to cleanse us because his opinion is the one that matters. It's his word that matters. And then he doesn't just cleanse us and say, okay, go play. He uses that which was unclean but is now cleansed to be a witness into this world. Because what did Jesus Tell them to do, tell this leper to do. He said, and he charged him to tell no one. I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to get into that. But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing. Don't hide the fact that you were dirty and are now cleansed. Go and make an offering. Worship God. Reveal to them for a proof to them. See what God is able to do? Don't hide the fact that you needed to be clean. Because really, honestly, if, if we think about this, which one of us didn't need to be cleaned? Which one of us hasn't needed cleansing? How can I say I've never needed cleansing? I've been clean all my life. I can't say that. None of us can. So what do we do? We worship God as a proof to them, as a proof to the world, as a proof to those who don't believe. You know what? We've been cleansed. Not we are clean. We've been cleansed. Therefore, we are clean. Secondly, so Jesus conquers uncleanness. He also conquers worthlessness. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Ah, there's too much here. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. This is an agrarian economy this isn't a technology economy this isn't an intellectual economy this isn't a b2b economy this is an agrarian economy and so if you're digging ditches in order to provide for your family would you be able to do that well if you're paralyzed no would you be able to sow and reap would you be able to cultivate if you're paralyzed no you don't you don't have anything you don't have anything that this world wants. This is just some dude. We don't know anything about him. There wasn't anything else brought into this story, so we assume that he is just common. So he's he's gotta be some sort of manual laborer. How good is a manual laborer that can't move? That's paralyzed. So this guy's interacting this with this world as someone who's got nothing that the world wants. He's worthless. Worthless as far as the world is concerned. You've got nothing. Because all the stuff that the world is looking for, you don't have it. Think about that. Think about the effect that that would have on a man. You have no job, you have no place, you have no future, you have no hope. You have to rely on other people to do everything for you. How would that feel? Would that be fun for anybody? No. Nobody. It would be terrible. You put yourself into, I, as I was preparing for this sermon, I put myself into this guy's position. It's like, I am worthless. I have nothing. And what does Jesus do? Jesus relieves him of his fault. Your sins are forgiven. Because in this day and age, what they believed, was that if something bad happened to you, that was always your fault. It was because of some sin that you had committed that God had set in heaven and said, you know, that person just did something that I don't like. I'm going to send him a catastrophe. Boom. Catastrophe happens because of my sin. Direct response because of my sin. So that's how they viewed this. And so, so this guy, not only does he have nothing that the world that he can offer the world, the reason he's got nothing to offer the world is because 100%, it's his fault. It's all his fault. He is a failure. He is to blame. He is worthless. And it's his fault. He has messed up. He has made bad decisions. He has made bad choices. He has set himself on bad paths. It's his fault. We still do that. Really? You... you, you Yeah, isn't it? We do that. It's all my fault. So Jesus comes up and he says, Your sins are forgiven you. Now this changes the world. Jesus doesn't say, It wasn't your fault. Jesus says, You're forgiven. And that goes back to who conquers, who's in charge, whose opinion matters. Well, I'm forgiven, but then I want to still beat myself up. Well, then that means that my opinion matters more than God's. God says, you're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. They're not to be held against you. They're not going to be held against you by God, and that means they're not to be held against you by anybody else or by you either. You're forgiven. So, but I'm still worthless. So Jesus says, Here's an opportunity. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Then Jesus perceived their thoughts, and he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. What is Jesus saying? Here's a place, here's a purpose. Here's a calling. So this man, now for the rest of his life, whatever he does, he has a purpose. He has a place. He can point to Jesus as being able to say, not only did this man forgive me, but this man made me worthy. He made me worthy. He changed me. Because it's Christ who gives us our worth it's christ who gives us our place it's christ who removes from us our sin our shame our guilt it's christ who does that and gives us himself and not only himself but then all the responsibilities and the rights that go with that he lets this guy walk again you know that's great kevin
1: so in when you were talking about there at the front side there did Jesus go through their thoughts or did he publicly? It, it sounds like he went through the Pharisees' thoughts rather than public display. Yep. You know, am, I, am I correct by assuming?
0: You are, you are correct. Yeah. So it's funny, we were actually talking about this at Youth for Christ on Friday. <laughs> it was uh, Beth, Art, Ellingson, and myself. And we were, Art was talking about a word of knowledge. So he told the story, and Art, if you listen to this, I am quoting you, so... Um, <laughs> so his dad Art Ellinson's dad was a preacher Lutheran preacher um, I don't know why that's important but he was a preacher and, and one day he was out preaching he was at an evangelistic conference and he was I, I don't know if it was an evangelistic conference or not but he was out preaching and God told him if this person raises their hand if this man raises his hand he'll be healed now he didn't he just that's what he knew but he's kind of scared to say it And so finally he told the guy, raise your hand. And he raised his hand, his shoulder was healed. How did he know that? God told him. Because it's not something that would be naturally known. And so my assumption is it's the same thing here with Jesus. That the Holy Spirit spoke to Jesus in some way to give him knowledge that wasn't readily available. He just knew something. And so in our current Pentecostal realm, they will title that A Word of Knowledge. I think that's what you guys called that, right, Beth? Yeah, A Word of Knowledge. I, I don't, The titles don't matter as far as I'm concerned. I don't know exactly what the title should be, but he knew something. And so Jesus knew this. And so he responds to what he knew was going on in the hearts of someone else. That, that wasn't just accessible to Jesus. These, you know, as Jesus was working in this world, it seems that this was a blessing that the Holy Spirit gave him, and yeah. So Jesus just knew this was going on in their hearts, and so he responded to that because he trusted the Holy Spirit.
1: I thought because their question was, "How can you forgive sins?" The point of the to me, he then pointed to his power to be able to heal. Yeah. To help you understand that
0: thing. Yep. And not only do I have the power. Forgive sins, I have the power to heal. Yeah. You're right. And that absolutely, and that ties this all back together, too. So because that the place, the the worth, his ability to work. Wasn't the point. Wasn't the major thing. Because the major thing was the healing that was internal. Solomon says in the book of Proverbs, if you haven't noticed yet, I do like the book of Proverbs, Um, that it's better to have a house, or a house full of feasting with strife isn't as good as a dinner of herbs with peace. Follow that paraphrase. I apologize for that. So what's he saying, though? That peace is better than bounty. And so also with the individual. So within myself, It's better to be at peace with God and be paralyzed than it is to be able to have the full functioning of my body and yet still be living with this guilt, living with this sin, and living with this darkness or depression that's inside of me. So what's the most important thing here? Most important thing is the primary thing, the forgiveness of sins. Now you have peace with God because you know what? I'm 38 years old and I'm running into this reality that my body's not quite as robust as it was when I was 20. You know what, that's unfortunate because it's like I'm 38 and I'm experiencing this. What's it going to be like when I'm 68 or 88? Or, yeah, probably won't make it to 128. Um, <laughs> but so what's more important though? It's peace with God. Because that's primary, that's central. And so how, does, how do we know that Jesus has the ability to forgive sins? He also healed the men. He raised the body. We have extreme, extraordinary things today. Thirdly, he's dealing with a failure. Levi, the tax collector. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, "Follow me." Notice the distinction here. The leper came to Jesus. The paralyzed man was brought to Jesus. Here, Jesus came to the tax collector. So, three different, three very different experiences of their initial interactions with Jesus, or what we see as their initial interactions with Jesus. And I'm going to have an aside and I'm going to come back. So, we need to be very careful as Christians that our experience, we don't say, well, this is how I came to know Jesus. That means that's how Doug's going to come to know Jesus, or that's how Marlon's going to come to know Jesus, because I came to an understanding of the assurance of my salvation sitting in Pastor Gunderson's eva- or missions class not paying attention to Pastor Gunderson but thinking about something else. That doesn't mean that Jesus is going to interact with everybody when they're daydreaming. <laughs> you know, that isn't a means of salvation. Otherwise, there'd be a lot more people in Hosanna just getting these revelations of Jesus. <laughs> As you're daydreaming. Um, It's not normative. It's not, we don't have a normal situation. And so Jesus will interact with each person where they're at and in the manner that he decides to. So could he have waited for Levi to come to him? Yeah, but he didn't. He walked up to Levi and he said, hey, you follow me. But he waited for the leper to come. And the paralyzed man had to have others bring him. And so is the paralyzed man less because someone else brought him to the Lord than the leper who came himself? Or Levi who Jesus came to? Nope. This isn't a matter of hierarchy. This isn't, isn't a matter of normal. As far as I can tell when it comes to coming to know Jesus and getting to know Jesus better, there's not necessarily a normal. The whole goal is to know Jesus. And so as Jesus comes up to a tax collector, he breaks the mold of their culture because a tax collector is a traitor because the Jews were occupied people. They were occupied by the Romans. And here is a guy that not only is he not fighting the Romans, he's actually sided with them, and not only has he sided with them, he's not just a sympathizer, he is a helper. He's helping the Romans in the job that they've come to do, which is to collect taxes. Because why do governments exist but to collect taxes? But that's what they're doing. And so Levi, that's a joke. They're supposed to do more. Um, Levi is a traitor in the eyes of the people. In the eyes of the rest of the Jewish people, Levi is a traitor. He is someone that has gone against the people of God and has gone with the pagan Romans. Because remember that not only are the Romans oppressors, occupiers, they're also pagans. They worship Caesar as if he's God. And Levi is helping them in their work. So how do the people of Israel view Levi? You're a traitor. You're a traitor to your countrymen. You're a traitor to your people. You're a traitor to everything that matters. Levi, when it comes to life, has failed. You're a failure because you've abandoned everything that matters besides money. But you know what? What in the end does money get you? Jesus calls him and said to him, follow me. Follow me. Who is Levi following? Following Caesar. He's following Rome. He's following money. He's following greed. He's not not following God's ways. He's not following the Lord. He's not following the priests. He's not following the, the, the Sadducees. He's following his own greedy, sinful heart, and Jesus says, follow me. Don't listen to the things that the world says. The, what they offer you isn't going to work. And, and I would say this to us, because Jesus says this to us as well. Jesus says, hey, follow me. Vera, follow Jesus. Bree, follow Jesus. Don't listen to the things of the world. Don't listen to your own self doubts. Don't listen to any of these other voices that come to us, whether they be through social media or the legacy media or alternative media, whether it be through your friends or even the people that you grew up with. Don't follow those voices. Follow Jesus. If they're leading you to Jesus, praise God. Follow Jesus. If they're leading you to follow something else, to to judge something else as higher or lower, don't listen to them. Follow Jesus because this is what Jesus is telling Levi and this is what he tells us. He says, follow me. Follow me. The ways of the world aren't going to get us anything. They're not going to satisfy us. What does the world have that's not temporary? Because the only stuff that the world can give us will last until we die. Then it's done. Then it's done. Because after I die, no matter how much money I have, no matter how great of a legacy I have, after I die, I can experience none of it. None of it. I hear these people talking about leaving a legacy. It's like, who cares? After you die, you won't experience it. Is it my land? Is it, you know, my influence? All that stuff's going to go away at some point. The world has nothing to offer us that goes beyond our lives. Jesus says, follow me. He's got something for eternity.
1: Joe, Done. is it true that everyone is always looking for a leader, someone to follow?
0: You know what? I would I would agree with that. I've never heard it put quite like that, but I think you're right.
1: And that's, that was the question in his heart. Levi didn't know exactly who to follow, so he followed Caesar because he knew he could become rich. So when Jesus came to him and said, follow me, how about just hit him right in the <laughs> yeah. middle of the head? You're the ones I've been looking for. Absolutely. And he, had, Jesus was asking him to have a relationship mm-hmm. with him, not just to know him, but to
0: yeah. walk with him, walk. to have that intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And see, the way that I've always thought about that is we're always looking for an authority, but a leader is probably a better way to think about it because People don't think in my vocabulary. Um, I don't, yeah, whatever. So everybody's looking for a leader, someone to follow, whoever that would be, whether that would be Donald Trump or Joe Biden, Governor Walls or uh, Governor Noam from South Dakota, you know, who are we going to follow? Who do we look to as our authority? Who do we rely upon? Is it our parents? Is it, who is it? Is it our friends? Is it our peers? Is it our spouse? Who is it? Jesus says, follow me. Because he's the one that actually can offer us all of those things that matter. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And Jesus answered them, Why do you eat with sin? with, well, And the Pharisees, so I'm going to go back to verse 30. And the Pharisees and the scri- their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you eat and drink with those people that are worthless? Why do you eat and drink with those people that are unclean? Why do you eat and drink with those people? Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance. What is repentance? This is the Greek word metanoia, a new way of thinking, to think about this world in a totally different manner, to approach this world totally differently. Jesus says, I'm calling you to repentance. So that's turning away from the sinful ways and turning to Christ. Turning to Jesus. This is what he calls the world too. The Pharisees and the scribes, they don't think they need Jesus. So what does Jesus tell them? You're not my audience. Those who don't need me, you guys can fester for a little while. I'll deal with the people that do. I have a job here. And it's to call sinners sinners. To repentance. What does he do later? He shows the scribes and the Pharisees that they too are sinners. They didn't like that very much. But he's calling sinners to repentance, to think differently about the world, to follow him. And that's what he's calling us to. Because you know what? He conquers our failure. Why do we fail? Why do we fail at life? It's because we set the wrong goals, we aim for the wrong things. We trust in the wrong person. We trust in ourselves instead of in Jesus. We aim for our earthly goals, material goals, horizontal goals instead of vertical goals, instead of Christ. And so we fail. And we fail and we fail and we fail. And so Jesus says, stop aiming at those goals and follow me. Repent. Turn from those goals. Turn to me. Turn from that leadership and turn to me. That's, he conquers our failure. Up to this point, Levi had been a failure and now he follows Jesus. So now it doesn't matter what the Jews say to him because he's not playing their game. Now he's walking with Jesus because there Jesus has conquered the opinions of other people. how does jesus change lives it's by conquering the things of this world because this world is looking to sin death and hell and according to sin death and hell people are unclean people are worthless people are failures jesus says you follow me i've cleansed you i've given you a job a calling I've given you a goal, a life, hope. That's what he calls us to, right now. So if you find in your life shame, fear, guilt, anxiety, well, I could go on. If you find these in your life, do you know what that means? I need to turn to Jesus. To come back to Jesus. Bring that those emotions to Him. Bring those thoughts to Him. Bring those fears to Him. Bring them to Jesus and say, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And you know what? He does. He will. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you that He triumphs, that he conquers, you that he is God. Bless us now that we might walk in these truths. Lord, we need your truth because it's so easy for us to believe the lies. Bless us, guide us, be honored, Lord, in us as we seek you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.